Great. Uh, it's such a privilege to have uh, Grant and Sue with us. Do you both want to stand so people can just know who you are, Sue, because you're the one who makes the machine run. Okay, give it up for Grant and Sue. There we go. Thank you. And uh, Sue um, has been, Sue's been battling um, with uh, flu and stuff. We said we don't care. We're hardy here. And it was these Bulawayo people who gave it to them anyway. Um, they're just not quite the same strength levels as Harari people. But anyway, uh, so uh, we've just been so grateful that you guys would come up and join us and be with us. So thank you. We had an amazing time with serving teams. Uh, look at what it means to serve and lead yesterday morning. A great time on marriage and parenting last night. So you guys have really given, but we, we really just count you as friends. And so we are so grateful that you come and be with us. So uh, Grant is preaching. Do you want to, you've already clapped, so that's fine. You don't have to again. But I'd love to pray for Grant and then uh, I'll take it away. You can give a bit of an intro for yourself. One thing I will say as one of the intros is, uh, and Grant probably doesn't want me to share these sorts of things, but there's many people who lead large churches and it's kind of, um, you separate yourself from what it means to serve like Jesus. But Grant and Sue are, are pioneering other church plants collectively. I don't know, there's 42 sites or something like that in One Life in South Africa. But they're on Sunday mornings going between like four different services, packing out the chairs, getting the chairs ready to go. And it's just the most amazing example of what it means to serve like Jesus. And so, uh, Lord Jesus, we want to thank you for just the real privilege of having Grant and Sue with us. Thank you for all the work that you're doing through them in South Africa. We pray that that continues, that it enlarges, that it grows, that many more people come to faith and are made, are made disciples as a result of them serving. And just as Grant shares, um, we're just excited. We pray you would speak, Lord Jesus. Would you challenge us wherever we are on the journey of faith? Would you instruct us? Would we leave here changed? In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Oh, good morning, everyone. It's uh, really good to be here. Uh, great privilege to be with you. And uh, there are a couple of things that I've heard about this church which made my visit here uh, really exciting, and which is the reason actually why we said yes to come. Uh, the first is I believe it's, it's brand new. This is a brand new church. And there are a lot of you who are exploring faith. Some of you maybe haven't even made up your mind fully about what you believe. And actually, churches should be full of people like that. And I'd love to be able to speak to you this morning. But in addition to that, you know, many churches in the world isolate themselves and become a parochial little family. But if you look at New Testament church, the way it was built in the New Testament times, they were interdependent. They learned from each other. You had apostolic men and women moving amongst the churches. And what I love about your leadership is that they're constantly learning, constantly asking questions, and haven't isolated themselves. And so it's a great privilege to be with you guys uh, today. A little background on, on my wife and I. We've been married 31 years. Uh, she's a saint. <laughs> we have three kids and a grandson. And I have been in the church that I'm presently leading for 40 years. There's something very beautiful about a church that is healthy and Jesus-centered. It's a great place to raise your children and to do life uh, together. Um, I, I wasn't always in the ministry. I studied business and went into the corporate world. But when I was about 30... I took the plunge. God was doing something quite significant uh, in our church. And so I, 
I left the corporate world behind. And a couple of years later, the man who planted our church, who is a Zimba from Chigutu, he planted it 50 years ago. <laughs> he led it for 27 years, and then 23 years ago, handed over the, the leadership to us. He's still on staff, still uh, comes up here to Zim every now and again. And uh, so uh, we've got one of your finest, <laughs> and I'm very grateful. So what I'd like to do today is go to the Gospel of John, and I'll tell you why. Is That disciple wrote that Gospel. This is what he says in John 20. He says, I write these things to you so that you may believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that you may have new birth and life in Him. So the whole reason the Gospel of John was written is that we understand what it means to encounter God, understand the Gospel, the essence of why Jesus came. And so what I'd like to do is, is look through the first four chapters, just take a, a couple of things out of those chapters, because you see Jesus reaching four groups of people. In chapter 1, you see Him reaching a good man. And there might be some of you today exploring the faith, and you know, you're, you're, you're a solid citizen, and, uh, but you, you're looking for truth. So we see that in chapter 1. In chapter 2 and 3, you see him after the religious, people who uh, had been playing religious games, who'd been attending church, who had opened up the Bible, but had somehow lost their way, and in fact, in their pursuit of religion, had turned people off. Jesus. And so you see that in chapter 2 and 3. And so, so some of you today might say, look, I've been in the church a long time, but there's something missing, something missing in my faith. And then in, in chapter 4, you see him reaching a, a really desperate person. Uh, we heard about people today that could be having debilitating illnesses, and there was a, a dude who came to, to Jesus there who was absolutely desperate for his son. And then also, in that chapter, you see Jesus reaching a person who is hardened. Life had really hardened them. And some of you might be sitting there today thinking, why the heck am I even in this church today? Why did I agree to get dragged along and listen to this dude from down south? And uh, I'll tell you also why I want to talk into these things. It's not just for those who are searching, but God calls us, like He did His disciples, to hold him out to our friends. And sometimes we've got really good friends around us that are looking for God. Other times you've got desperate people. Other times you've got religious. And other times you've got really those who are hardened to the gospel. And Jesus takes his disciple on this journey of revealing himself to them. And so as we go through this little journey, I, I trust that, that God will speak to you. You know what it says in John chapter 6? Jesus said this, Nobody comes to me lest the Father draws him. It's interesting, hey, is that the Holy Spirit, you heard Craig pre praying today, and he was asking the Holy Spirit to make himself known. God, the God we serve is God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is at work today in the world. And he's drawing people, and he's opening our eyes to see Jesus, which is the essence of the gospel. So with that as an intro introduction, uh, let's uh, turn in our Bibles to John chapter 1. And I told you in chapter 1 there was a good guy. His name was Nathaniel. Now, 
How does God reveal himself to good people like Nathaniel? Well, this is what happens here. In chapter 1, verse 45, Philip found Nathaniel. God uses a friend who has encountered Jesus already. And he said to him, come, look, we found the Messiah. Could this be the Messiah? Nathaniel says, he comes from Nazareth. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Come and see, said Philip. So what's Philip doing to a good guy? He's saying to him, let me take you into the presence of Jesus. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, Here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. And Nathanael says, Gee, how did you know me? I mean, <laughs> he might be a good guy, but he's, he's, he knows he's a good guy. And so what is Jesus, what's happened to this guy? How has the Holy Spirit drawn this guy? He's brought him into the presence of Jesus. And so if, if you're in that category today, you, you might have experienced something in worship, maybe while Craig was praying, and Paul prayed this prayer over the Ephesians. He said, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened, that you would see Jesus. So that's what the Holy Spirit does. He takes good people into his presence, and he makes himself known to them. Uh, I'm down in Cape Town uh, for half of my month these days. We're doing Cape Town and KZN, and I've got a home group that I lead on a Wednesday night. One of the businessmen came to me and said, listen, I'm a brand new Christian. I haven't got, you know, everything sorted, but I would love to give back. I said, what would you like to do? He said, I, would, I, I, I can teach people how to do business. Uh, he's a very successful entrepreneur. So I said, okay, well, I'll make an announcement on Sunday at our Woodstock site with this whole lot of young people, and you can meet them on Friday. And so it happened, and then he phones me on Friday afternoon, and he says, God, what do I, what do I say? I said, like, you're the guru, bro. I mean, you, you've got something to say. So he says, no, 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 but this is a spiritual thing. I'm, I'm going to be in a church. So I said, well, tell them how you met Jesus. Just tell them your testimony. He, he met Christ really late in his life. A and then go on to business. So, so this is what happened. Twelve people arrived, ten blokes, and two young ladies. One of those young ladies was a neuroscientist. And this is her backstory. In January this year, she was at Scottborough down the South African uh, South Coast. And was in a really, you know, desperate state and was walking along the beach and sat on the rocks looking out to the sea. And a man walked past her and said, excuse me, young lady, you don't look very happy. She says, no, I'm not. So he says, take this book. He gives her this book. And he signs it PJ. I mean, I, I don't know whether he wrote the book. And he's not the PJ some of you know about from Zimbabwe. He's another dude. Just wandering along the, the beach in Scottborough. So, so she had this book. And she, she comes to this business meeting. And this guy shares how he meets Christ. Really good lady, neuroscientist, not a believer in Jesus. And as he shares his testimony, she begins to weep. And now he didn't know what to do. He says to me afterwards, hey, gee, Grant, I don't know what to do, man. I thought I was in a whole lot of blokes. Then there were like these two chicks here. And then one of them, she starts crying. I just didn't really know what to do. So I said to her, I'll tell you what I think you ought to do is come to church on Sunday. You'll get some answers there on Sunday. We're going to talk about business now. 
So, so she pulls herself together and she comes to church on Sunday. What she didn't know and what he didn't know is that I had a friend of mine coming to preach that day who was from Scottborough. He had been fishing, spear fishing. Came in from his fish, saw a sinker in the surf. So he bent down to pick up a sinker. He left his gun there, but he hadn't unloaded it. And a wave picked it up, dropped it, and it went off. And the arrow went through his cheek and out of his temple. It's a dramatic story. Hit national news. Anyway, this guy was a believer. He didn't lose his sight. He didn't lose anything. And so he's sharing his story about how God preserved him. She then says to her friend, you set me up. I'm the only person in this room who knows the gap between the retina, the brain, where that arrow went. She says, I didn't, I didn't even know this dude was coming. So he's sharing his, and then he says, this is what happened. I struggled to the beach. I lay there on the beach, and this guy called PJ pitched up. She looks at her mate and says, my PJ. I don't know what this dude PJ does, just wandering up and down, you know, Scottborough Beach. But that girl went up afterwards and asked, what PJ was that? And that friend of mine had his arrow through his head, led her to Christ that day. I've just come up from Cape Town now. We're running an Alpha course, and she's brought nine of her friends to come and sit and find out about, we baptized her a couple of weeks ago. What happened to her? She, a good lady just being brought into the presence of Jesus. It's exactly what happened to Nathaniel. Just into the presence of Jesus and let the Holy Spirit do the work. Now, I said there were four types of people. That's the first type. The second type, chapter two, swings. Jesus, you know, he, he winds up in Jerusalem. I'm cutting a whole lot short in the, in the gospel. But he sees the temple full of religious people that aren't doing it right. They're trading. The, gospel, the religions become like a, the money changes. And so he makes a whip. I, I often wonder what he hit with that whip. Whether it was just the air, but I mean, this is a calculated move. Jesus making a dramatic statement. This is not faith in Jesus. This is not the gospel. He turns over the tables. He says, I don't want you to be confused by religion and faith. He's dramatic. He turns it all over and he, he moves on, dusts himself off. Chapter 3, he's reclining with his disciples. And one of those religious guys comes at night to see him. His name is Nicodemus. Now remember, he's, he's steeped in religion. He would have bought and sold from those same tables. He was engaged in that sort of... Uh, game religious game and he comes to jesus at night and jesus looks at him now how does jesus handle this guy well what he does is he explains to him very carefully the difference between religion and the gospel but faith and this is what he says to him you need to be born again the guy says like i, like, I don't understand that Jesus mocks him a little bit and says, come on, man, you're Israel's teacher. What do you mean you don't know what that means? He says, you need to be born of water. In other words, when your mother's waters break, and you need to be born of the Spirit. You, you, you need to be flesh, he says, gives birth to flesh. Your mother's flesh gave birth to you. But Spirit, in your Bible, it's a capital S, gives birth to Spirit. 
And so he's like, it's a radical thought. He's like, he's wrecking this religious guy. What, what do you mean? I had a whole lot of rules I was following. I was obeying the Ten Commandments. I was a good boy. I was going to church. I, but I noticed you didn't like it. So I'm coming here to talk to you. He says, look, I'm going to make it very, very clear to you. Your religion and the gospel. Now, if you've got religious friends, they're going to say things to you like this. They're going to, they're going to, I had a, a, a lunch once with one of our former um, statesmen in our country who's notorious. If I said his name, you would all know and shiver. At that lunch table, he said to me, I'm a Christian. I said, oh, you are? He says, in fact, I've been ordained. I said, who ordained you? He told me some movement ordained him. But it's very, very clear that he knew religion, didn't know Jesus, didn't know the gospel. A couple of years ago, Sue and I were having our Valentine's dinner at this place called the Butcher Block in Maritzburg. And we were sitting there, and this waiter, you know the waiters that keep coming to your table. I don't know if they do that in Zim, but three times before you put your fork into the steak, they're asking how it is, and they just keep coming back. Valentine's Day. I was getting irritated. So she could see it, so she said, Grant, just calm down. Yeah, everyone in this restaurant knows you. If you've been a pastor in a city for 40 years, they, they know you, you know what I'm saying? So I said, okay, I'll be polite. So I look at him, and I say to him, oh, what's your name? So he tells me. So I said, that's an interesting necklace you've got on. He had a, a lion around his neck with red glowing eyes. He says, no, that's part of my religion. I said, oh, your religion. What religion is that? So he says, Hare Krishna religion. At that point, he flicks his hair around and he shows me a ponytail. He says, you see, because I want to become a holy man. So I said, you want to become a holy man? So I said, yeah, why do you want to become a holy man? He, he says, uh, because you see, when, when I die and I get to God, I don't want him to send me back down to earth again. So I said, you mean reincarnation? He says, exactly. So I said, you mean when you die, you don't want to come down as a cat? <laughs> he says, exactly. You understand what I'm doing. So I said, well, how's this holiness thing going? So he says, no, no, it's not going so well. So I said, why not? So he begins to list all the sins that he's emitting. I said to him, hey, listen, dude. You've got a lady at the table. Calm down. He gets, he gets right the way. So I said, but that's impressive that you've given up all that. So I, so he said, I said, why is it not going so well? He says, because I'm still smoking. I said, oh, oh, you're not allowed to. So he says, apparently not. So I say, oh, oh. Meow, you coming back, pal. <laughs> at this point, my wife is under the table. No one else is eating dinner. They're busy listening. So he says, no, 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 no. It's going to be fine. I said, how's it going to be fine? He, he said, because I'm going to follow a guru. He leans forward and he says, don't tell anyone. I'm resigning on Monday. I said, you're resigning on Monday. Why are you resigning? He says, I'm going to follow a guru. I said, you found a guru? He says, yes. I said, where's your guru? He says, Australia. I said, Australia. You're gonna find you're gonna follow an Australian and think you're gonna be holy. Good luck to you, pal. <laughs> so now he's I understand he's a religious man. And he's he's looking for God. But but just like Nicodemus, just like those other religious guys, he's mistaken, hugely mistaken. 
And so I said to him, Sir, do you, do you mind, now that you've told me about your religion, that I could tell you about faith? And so he says, yeah, by all means, he couldn't really say no, could he? I mean, haven't tipped him yet, and uh, I'm a customer, after all. So I said, you see, your religion assumes God is holy. He says, correct. And you are not holy. He told me that, so he said, correct. I said, well, every religion in the world believes that. That God is holy, that we are in need of that. And religion is like a stepladder that takes an unholy people to a holy God. He says, yes, that's exactly right. So I said, you climbing your ladder by giving up all your vices. He says, correct. I said, every other religion in the world does a similar thing. They just have different steps on the ladder. Some make you obey laws. Others make you sit there in contorted positions and hum for a long time as you float up that ladder. <laughs> others make you do good deeds to look after poor people and to invest your life in others. But, but this is the problem. This is why religion doesn't work. God is infinitely holy. Even if you climb to a dizzy height, you are way, way, way short of God's glory. That's a Bible verse. Didn't tell him that. So I said, this is the difference between all the religions of the world and faith in Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus doesn't stay at the top of the ladder. He came to the very bottom of the ladder. While you are yet a sinner. While we are yet sinners. So he, he finds us at the bottom of the ladder. And as we surrender our lives to him, he helps us climb the ladder. That's the difference. He looked at me with massive eyes. I said to him, my friend, you're going to give up smoking. But there will be something else that trips you up. I said, have you ever heard of snakes and ladders? He says, of course I have. I said, there's lots of snakes on that ladder, buddy. Or maybe it's like grease on the... You're going to fall down. And you remember this, my friend, when you're at the bottom of that ladder and you've tried and you've tried and you've tried. Jesus is waiting for you at the bottom of that ladder. And what he does is, while, when, when you can give him nothing, you can't earn your salvation, you surrender your life to him, he comes upon you, he transforms you, and, and he comes upon you by his Holy Spirit, and you begin to live out the life that he's called you to live. Well, he, he didn't get saved that night. I don't know where he is. He could be on Bondi Beach <laughs> smoking a cigar with his guru. I don't know. But I do know that once he's knocked all his teeth out, the seed of the gospel is in there. That is very different to religion. Jesus rocked Nicodemus. Very, very different to religion. And then chapter 4, third type of person that was there, was a, a desperate man. A man who had a son who was nearly dying. Uh, he was of a royal household. He was a royal official. He had heard about Jesus. He had heard about Jesus turning water into wine. He had heard about him turning over the tables. And he thought, look, I, I, I'm desperate. I should go there. And he comes to Jesus and he says to Jesus, just come to my house and heal my boy. And Jesus said, Go back, your boy as well. And it says this, he took him at his word. 
took him at his word, and this, this boy was healed. And then it says, that guy's entire household got saved. Jesus didn't even go there. He just, to the desperate, Jesus just broke in. Now, the guy had a high fever. I'm sure in those days, many people recovered from high fevers and their whole household didn't get saved. But this guy knew that the intervention of God had caused that. I was trying to find a property for one of our sites, congregations down in Cape Town and Durbanville. Durbanville is, is just like there's a shortage of property because people are piling in there. And there's this little estate agent, his name is Mario. He, he's been trying to help me. But of all the estate agents, he keeps bouncing back, this little guy. And um, when I, I looked at him the other day, I was standing on the main street of Durbanville. I asked myself this question, why is this little dude, he sticks to me like glue. He, he's absolutely irreligious. He doesn't fall into any of these categories. But I thought, I wonder why he's there. So I said, tell me about your life, bud. So he tells me he's got a wife dying of cancer in America. And he can't get there. So he said, I've tried everything. He stomps his little foot. Tried everything. Home affairs, can't get, can't get visa. I don't know what, why he transgresses. So I said to him, you haven't tried everything, my boy. He says, I have. I said, no, you haven't. He says, I have. I said, no, you haven't. I said, you haven't tried Jesus. He looks at me like, whoa, I know I was with a pastor, but this is a bit much. In the main street of Dermot, I said, I'm going to pray for you right now. He says, okay. <laughs> he bends down like this. <laughs> Today, that guy's sitting in America, and I don't know what's happened to him, but I do know that he knows God intervened. You, you could be here today, and one of those who came in with a headache or came in with a desperate financial need, God makes himself known to desperate people by breaking in like that. And so what do we do? We've got friends that are in that position. We pluck up the courage and say, this is how we're going to represent Jesus to them. I'm, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to trust that God breaks in. What, can you, what, what do you lose? What can you lose? Finally, and this is what I want to talk about, and I've told too many stories, so I'm going to condense it. John chapter 4 is a delightful story. I'm going to just shorten the story so we, we're just all on the same page. Jesus has taken a shortcut through Samaria. Now, some, the Samaritans were enemies of the Jews because they'd interbred. They were part of the northern kingdom in old Israel. They had intermarried and taken their idolatrous religion on board. It was like syncretistic, so sort of following God, sort of following these idols. And the Jews despised them. Anyway, so Jesus takes a shortcut, gets to the well that Jacob gave to Joseph. And Jesus sits there, and the disciples go into town to go and buy food. So he's sitting there alone, and a woman, in the middle of the day, comes down to the well intriguing because the ladies would normally come down together you read history you read bible commentary on that and so she comes down alone to the well to draw some water jesus looks at her and immediately sees as a hard person gone through tough times and uh, many of us have got friends like that they just they to cope in life they've just hardened their hearts against the gospel hardened their hearts against everything and they present this exterior that they've got it together. Anyway, she comes down. She's one of those. So how do you approach somebody like that? Uh, very few people like that will be sitting in a meeting like this. These dudes are out there at the drinking holes and other such places. But you've got friends like that. 
How do you handle it? Because Jesus demonstrates this in John chapter 4. Well, the first thing he does is he, how does he begin to open this lady up? He asks her a question. And I, I would suggest to you that you have a mission station just like Jesus did at this well. But it's your office, it's your work, it's your business. You know the dude who lives next door to you, that irritating guy? He's not there by accident. He's like the woman at this well. That employee of yours you know, that you wish you could fire, he's hanging around not by accident. It's like this woman at the well. It's your mission station. So how do you begin to open up that person that's hard? Well, he asks a question, and the question is not, will you go to hell when you die? <laughs> have you been washed in the blood? <laughs> it's not that. It's like, can I have a drink? Coffee, please. That's what he asks. The conversation begins like that. She freaks out a bit and says, like, why are you talking to me? I'm like a woman. You shouldn't be doing this. Like, you're a Jew. I'm a... He, he asks her this question, but he pushes, and he lets her talk about her thirst. So he says, listen, you shouldn't be worried. I mean, if you knew who I was sitting here at this thing, you would ask me for a drink, and I would give you living water. She says, hey, are you better than our father Jacob, that you can draw water out of here? Where's your bucket? And then he begins to explain to her that he's got a living water that doesn't run out, wells up from within. And she doesn't fully understand all this, but he's letting her talk about this, her thirst. And, and so she says, hey, that'll be so cool. I wouldn't have to come down here every day. Give me, I don't know whether she was humoring him, what she was doing, but this conversation's happening. He's talking about thirst. I want to labor this a little bit. You know, people have appetites. Power hungry, heard that phrase. Young people today, when they're talking about wanting to get into a relationship, I found this out the other day. They say, I'm thirsty. It's like weird. But it's, it's like, maybe it's just down south, but that's what they say. And uh, we have appetites. We have, we have appetites for power. We have appetites for, 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 for money, for, for fun. For we, and he lets her talk. And... When she's finished talking, because what is he doing? He's, he's getting to know who she is. And then, and then he steps in. This must have been with a twinkle in his eye. He says, go fetch your husband. She says, I don't have a husband. He, he knew already. He said, no, you're right. You've had five. The dude you shacked up with now, he's not your husband. She totally freaks out. Something supernatural has just happened in her life. So, so what does this show us? Well, when I deal with guys who are hard like that, I... I play quite a bit of golf and other sports, and the reason I do that is that if you're a pastor, you're surrounded by Christians. You've got to fight to get out of the Christian bubble. So I find these sort of dudes on the golf tee and in the canoe shop. And so he, he lets her talk because he, he's looking for where issues are, and then he trusts that God breaks in. I've, I, I think sometimes God will give you a word of knowledge for people, that's some insight into who they are, and it'll just freak them out. A, a dream about them. Also, you could like, pray for them, just for, for God. To, but anyway, it, it freaks them out. And he, she says, listen, you guys are supposed to be worshiping down there in Jerusalem. We're up here on this mountain. Jesus says, no, don't, don't come with that. The time is coming when they're going to worship God in spirit and in truth. Not, not this, these religious games. And then what Jesus does, he reveals himself to her. He says, I am the Messiah that you're talking about. Isn't this incredible? It, it doesn't happen at a church service. 
happens at that mission station or at the watering hole. It's, it's actually that name of Jesus breaks through. And how you get to present that name of Jesus, you can't just walk up to someone who's tightly closed and just blurt out the name of Jesus. You, you, you ask them questions. You let them talk about their thirst. You let them wrestle with the things of life. You let them see that there is something else in this world. And then he presents himself, Jesus. I haven't got time to go through all the details. This is an incredibly rich chapter. She rushes off into the village. The disciples come back and they amazed that he was sitting there talking to women. And they say to him, uh, Rabbi, eat something. He, he says, I've had something to eat you know nothing about. Uh, they, they're looking around at the lunchbox, thinking maybe this chick brought in some Kentucky. I don't know what the deal is. And, and he says, I've had food that you know nothing about. And this is what he says. My food, the thing that sustains me, the thing that makes me strong is to do the will of the one who sent me. And then he says, look, the fields are white unto harvest. And what is he saying? Look at this whole jolly Samaritan village is coming down to him. He's basically saying, put away the lunchbox, boys. If, if I, I, I like to think um, pictorially sometimes. Did, did he have a drink with this woman? I don't think so. Did he have any actual food? I don't think so. Was he any less tired? No, he was, it says at the beginning he was tired, sitting down the well. He's now been chatting for the last little while. A and it's not got any cooler. And yet he says, put it all away. This is what's firing me up. We've seen a woman transformed, and we're going to see an entire village transformed. And there is something about, and that's the wonder of this local church, when you see people being transformed like this lady, like that world official, uh, like that good guy, it does something to you as a church. I trust this church never loses the wonder of presenting Jesus to broken people, to hard people, to good people, and to religious people. Because just like it fired up Jesus, it's good for a church. It fires up a church to see lives transformed. Anyway, this village says to them, to Jesus, stay here another two days. And then they say this at the end. I think it's verse 42. It says, we no longer believe because of the women's testimony. We now believe because we've heard ourselves. Amazing, eh? When God transforms a hard person like that, that whole village had heard it from her. And you, you might say, well, well, Grant, I haven't got a really amazing testimony. If you did not know Jesus, and then you met him, and now your life is like it is, that's what a testimony is. We all have one of those, and it's not wrong. And no one can argue against it. Because it's your story of how God broke into your life. And that's what this woman, saved a few minutes, is doing because of the wonder of seeing Jesus. I wonder if we could stand together as I bring this to a close. There's one other place in the Bible where Jesus said he was thirsty. This instance, there's another place. When he was on the cross. He's hanging there, and he said, I am thirsty. Now, if you think that God doesn't waste his words, and it wasn't put there by mistake, why would Jesus, out of all the things he could have said, say when he was on that cross, I am thirsty? 
This is why. Because when Jesus came down to the bottom of that ladder, He came to feel, to carry, and to represent you and me. And so He understood thirst. His most favorite name for Himself was not Son of God or King of Kings or Great Prophet. When Jesus spoke about Himself, He used to say to Him, the Son of Man, when He talked in the first person, the Son of Man. He was basically saying, He knows what it is to be thirsty, he knows what it is to be in desperate need. And he's representing the whole of mankind. And then what Jesus does is he makes a deal with the Father. He says, Father, if these guys put their trust in me, if they give up and put their trust in me, I will come upon them by my Holy Spirit. I'll make them born again, born of the Spirit. They'll be, they'll be spiritually alive. And then they'll be transformed and we will live with them. That's what he was saying. He, he was saying, I'm coming. This is basically saying, I'm thirsting. This is me, God, at the bottom of the ladder, feeling your thirst. I know what it is. You can entrust your life to me. And as you do, I will transform you. I'll make you a new creation. I'll breathe life into you. A Christian is not someone who's changed their mind. A Christian is someone who has given up entirely and ask God himself to make them spiritually alive. Let's bow our heads in prayer. I don't know how things work here, so I'm just going to pray this short prayer. If you are here today with every head bowed and eye closed, know that you are not born of God, born of the Spirit, made spiritually alive. You've been playing religious games, but you're not yet having the breath of God in you to wake you up spiritually. You can. The Bible says whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I'm, I'm going to lead you in a prayer now, a prayer of surrender, saying I give up God and I ask you to make me born of the Spirit. Are you ready to pray that prayer? Whisper this prayer with me to the God of heaven. Heavenly Father, I surrender my life to you. I give up entirely on trying to do religious things and to make myself holy. And I ask you by the power of your Holy Spirit to make me a new creation, to make me born again, to forgive my sin, to breathe your life into me, to make me spiritually alive. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Sure. Thank you so much, uh, Grant and Sue, for being with us. You guys are family, so you are always welcome here um, anytime. So thank you. Thank you so much. So appreciate it. Um, we have, uh, there's tea, there is uh, coffee outside, cappuccinos, of course, as well on the house. Otherwise, uh, meet someone that you don't know. If you haven't signed up or want to take a next step, that's at the back as well. Otherwise, so looking forward to seeing you next week. Thanks for being with us. Cheers for now.